Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 23rd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is Legal Technology, The Road Ahead. Well, as the Beatles might say, Jim, it looks like a long and winding road. It sometimes looks more like Star Trek to me. <laughs> we have communicators now, GPS tracking. I don't think now of anything of saying just type my name into Google instead of giving somebody my email address. And we've even had live Twittering protests and demonstration organization that the repressive regime in Iran couldn't control. That is true. That is true. And I, I certainly have met a lot of lawyers who seem very intergalactic to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about everybody's favorite or non-favorite subject, the economy. The job loss is slowing, but there's still job losses happening. It, it has not totally dried up. I, I know we all wish that it would, but I've been checking the layoff tracker at lawshucks.com, and at, at the end of July, over 13,000 lawyers and legal professionals have been laid off since January of 2008. There are still some hopeful signs. I think people are somewhat optimistic, but in reality, most of the lawyers I've talked to don't expect to see a real turnaround until at least 2010, so we're really not not out of it yet. Well, that's a, I, I fear I share that with you, and I think one of the big impacts of that has really been a, an increased look at alternative billing. On August 24th of 2009, there were two really well-publicized articles, a front-page story on the Wall Street Journal and then the cover story on Corporate Counsel that both talked about alternative billing arrangements and how clients were going to be demanding those uh, for predictability purposes and for risk sharing. So I'm not saying you have to throw away the timesheet at this point, but I, I really strongly, strongly believe that law firm billing practices are now a matter of corporate focus, and it's really unlikely that large firm billing practices are going to go back to normal even after the economy writes itself, Sharon. Yeah, I think that's true. We might touch on that a little, little later, too. But let me talk for a minute about software as a service, also known as SaaS, and, and cloud computing, because this is really a, a hot-button issue today, and it seems like everybody has drunk the Kool-Aid. The steady movement towards SaaS and cloud computing is a little disturbing to me, because uh, they're rolling it out, in my judgment, without enough attention being paid to securing the services and the information they handle. And that was the finding recently by RSA Security, very well respected, of course, and John Chambers, who I also respect a great deal, he's a Cisco CEO, for those who may not know, he calls cloud computing a security nightmare and says it can't be handled in traditional ways, and, and I certainly agree. While what the cloud can do is phenomenal, experts say that cloud security is lagging far behind its actual abilities, and so they're advising that until it catches up in the security realm, business needs to understand the dangers, weigh them against the benefits, and exercise very aggressive risk management, which is not something lawyers are normally very good at. I had the opportunity yesterday to talk with our, our mutual friend, Ben Shore, and he predicted that in the next 18 months, one of the SaaS vendors is going to fold and leave a wake of broken firms behind it, scrambling to recover their data and get their practices back on track. He hopes it'll be a small wake, but with the way firms are tossing caution to the wind in favor of cutting their operational budget, he has a bad feeling that the wake might not be all that small, and I share that feeling with him. I do want to note that there are some responsible SaaS vendors such as Rocket Matter and Clio. Uh, we've talked to both of them, and they're taking steps to work on these problems, enabling users to perhaps work offline if you can't connect to them, you can't get to their services. And I think that that's, that's a good thing, but it doesn't solve the problem entirely. 
Yes, I had a visit with one of the principals of Rocket Matter about that same topic at ABA Tech Show, and I think they are aware of it and are into it for the long haul. But but there's still the concept of, of you know, I'm not supposed to share my clients' confidences, and I've got to make sure that's rock solid, and then I've got to make sure my business can function if something happens to either the provider or the Internet. And that's what's happening. I think we're going to see a lot of we're going to, we are definitely going to see some of these people fail. The question is, we've seen it fail in the past. What we haven't seen is that we haven't seen it fail yet in legal SaaS. But at some point, it's just bound to happen. And speaking of ABA Tech Show 2009, if we're going to talk about the future, it's really hard not to mention Richard Susskind, who gave the keynote address at ABA Tech Show. As you know. He wrote the book, The End of Lawyers, Rethinking the Nature of Legal Services. And, and I really thought that uh, his comments in this book had a lot of interesting uh, observations. Uh, one kind of sea change is that he feels that business clients feel their lawyers are really good at reacting to situations, but, but there's little in the way of, of proactive legal services. His analogy is we're, we're really good of, of having great ambulance service at the bottom of the cliff, but maybe we should think about building a fence at the top of the <laughs> cliff so people don't fall off. <laughs> he, he did give a great speech, didn't he? Yes, he did. I think that one of the themes that I've come up with from this is that the future is going to be clients wanting more for less, and we all kind of want more for less, so I think that's very possible. And, and, and there's going to be more commoditization, even though we lawyers don't have to hear that. There's certain routine legal tasks that are going to be pushed down you know, to legal assistance or to expert computer systems, and, and that's just the way it's going to going to be. And, and he also spoke at the International Legal Technology Association just recently and, and told those people that their challenge is now is to not is to create a brand new business model, not just create better versions of the old business model. So that's certainly a challenge. What do you think of his remarks, Sharon? Well, I, I thought he was dead on at Tech Show. That was the best keynote speech I think I've ever attended. It was really super. But I also had the feeling that he had a message that lawyers didn't really want to hear. I agree with him. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way it was and that a lot of law firms who choose not to embrace his message may find themselves dinosaurs lumbering unknowingly toward extinction. Right now, more than 25% of the 250 largest firms in the U.S. are using some form of alternative billing. And I think this is just the beginning of institutionalizing alternative billing, but some people are certainly resisting it. You're, you're really seeing law firms adopt, and, and I was talking again to Ben Shore, who's, I think I forgot to mention, but he's a brilliant legal technologist out of Hawaii. But when I was talking to Ben, he, of course, uses all these things that I don't know about, but he talked about apparently there's something called lean which was originally a manufacturing strategy focused on providing more value with less work and six sigma which i had heard of but i had to look up in wikipedia where we all go and that's a business management strategy basically trying to eliminate defects in the process which is also something that we need to try to do with legal services so i do think the whole paradigm of how we bill is changing and the people who get it will be successful and those who don't get it may ultimately stumble and fall. Well, one of the statistics we're seeing is that general counsel's budgets for outside legal help is being cut across the board. So not only are they wanting their legal services cheaper and more efficiently, but they're wanting more predictability. And that's why not necessarily a flat fee for a project, but giving them some parameters and sharing the risk with your clients of, of the unanticipated is going to be the hallmark of successful firms in the future. 
moving on to probably the, the, the most highly publicized trend, and we've done a couple of podcasts already on this topic, I think, so we won't belabor it, but, but it's talking about social networking and your online presence and your reputation, and, and we're seeing a lot of uh, online reputation management firms now. It's really interesting, Sharon. I did a, a, a blog post on, on that sometimes the, the most problems with your online reputation management are, are self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> One of the people said a, a big takeaway from ILTA, the, the technology conference, was never tweet when drunk. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, that's stealing my line. <laughs> Not that I've ever done it, but I've certainly counseled about it before. That's right. And, and we're seeing more and more uh, of these things. And so I, I think it's, it's really important for us to be aware that, that pretty soon – None of us, at least none of us who are professional lawyers, are going to have any online privacy and that there's going to be a wealth of information that's returned by just a simple Google search of your name. And it's not always going to be positive. There's going to be negative things. And so that's why it's critically important for lawyers to to make sure that they get the good news about themselves, the positive information about them out on the Internet so that it, it counter, counteracts anything that, that you know some opposing party may have to say about the, the fact they're mad because you won the litigation. I agree with all of that, Jim and Spades. Uh, let's shift over a little, little to technical technical subjects. Uh, first, I want to talk about Windows 7. Everybody's very excited for, for, for Windows 7. That is going to be released on October the 22nd, and I predict a widespread early adoption because so, so many folks have been avoiding Vista at all costs, and they are, they are all waiting for Windows 7. It, it is perfect, but all the experts who have tested us, uh, us included, basically think, think that Microsoft's got it right this time. This is a really good OS. You may, you may want to wait, if you can, just a little bit, because there's always bugs in the first in the first few months that need to be worked out. But Windows 7 is not the throbbing disaster that was Vista. Don't forget to ensure that your software will run on Windows 7. You'll need to check in with your software vendors. It's always a very unhappy surprise to do an upgrade and find out that your accounting package no longer works. That's a very big whoops. So be prepared for the possibility, at least, of needing software upgrades, although I understand that most software that would run on Vista will run on Windows 7. But, you know, it's an insurance policy. Check it out first. Then I want to mention virtualization and some of its attendant security risks. Virtualization is just super. It provides such an amazing cost savings to have multiple servers located within a single physical box. The biggest problem from a security perspective is that you've got a single host providing security to all the other servers. If the host is compromised, so is everybody else, and that's not good. So what everybody is working on right now is hardening the security of the host. But we're not woolly there yet, and a lot of IT people really haven't fully mastered all of this. So be careful out there, folks, because we're not all the way secure in the virtualization world. It's a good world to be in, but we still have some work to do. One of the big trends I see is Internet Everywhere. and In fact, uh, there's a blogger, Brian Sims, that, that does the Connected Lawyer blog. He was interviewed by the Illinois Lawyer, and he said there's really four must-have tools for solo practitioners. A laptop, a scanner, a good backup system, and a smartphone. And obviously there's a few more things we might want to have, but I think that smartphone really is, is more and more important. There's going to be Internet access pretty much everywhere now. With the air cards, now I'm seeing the, uh, the, they're basically giving away netbooks if you'll sign up for the 50 or $60 a month internet service that goes with them. <laughs> and, and so I, I see this idea that lawyers who 
have to get to their office to check the internet, that can't do it on their iPhone or other smartphone, or that don't have easy access are, are really going to be limited. And this is really an important trend that cuts both ways. It's, it's really nice when there's an emergency to be able to handle it quickly without having to wait two or three hours till you're back in the office, if it can be handled that way. But we're seeing more and more, and I know you and I both feel this too, of this just working all the time or being connected all the time. And so that mental relaxation that you have for not thinking about work for a few hours, even though it may not be a big deal to check your email at home at night and answer a query from a client real quick, you're really not having that time off. And so and so I th- see this as cutting both ways. We're going to see we're going to be connected all the time, anywhere, and yet there's going to be some more stress really associated with never getting to clock out. I'm afraid I've fallen into that snake pit because John and I are, have just uh, signed up for air cards. We, we have air cards in our laptops, and you can get them so that you actually are paying like $15 a day for occasional use. And so we decided we would do this because we're taking the, the train down to North Carolina to lecture next week. So this is going to be my first experience with the, the air card. And as you say, when I was on the train before, I would do a little reading, sometimes a little napping, and now I see myself on the laptop working. So I'm not sure that that's a, a good trade. Oh, but I love my air card shirt. You'll be happy you have it. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling that an addict with more crack, <laughs> it's not going to be a good thing. It doesn't paint a pretty picture. <laughs> One of the things I'm, I'm looking to see in, in the year ahead is increased Mac usage, especially among solos and smalls. And along with that, maybe a wake-up call about the vulnerabilities of the Mac. I, I love the Mac. They're great products. We just love those Macs. But they're more expensive than PCs. It's hard to maintain Macs in a Windows environment, so that can drive up your costs. And it's certainly a myth that they're invulnerable to malware. In fact, the new operating system for Macs, uh, called Snow Leopard, for the first time is going to include an antivirus component, uh, which is a good thing. But it puts the lie to the Macs don't get viruses theory, and that Kool-Aid has been passed around for a long time. Macs are every bit as vulnerable inherently, and especially now that they can run Windows. At one time, they simply weren't the focus of, of the attention of the malware writers. But those evil little minds are rapidly turning their coding beasties in Apple's direction. And Apple knows it. The last set of patches closed dozens of vulnerabilities. I love Apple, but I have never been and will never be a fangirl. I don't even know if that's a word. I know there's fanboys, but I assume there can be fangirls as well. (laughs) (laughs) And the the iPhone is woefully insecure. This was designed as a consumer-grade phone, and security was really a last-minute afterthought. I'm not going to go through all the possibilities for disaster for lawyers, but you really need to, to look up, just Google or, or look up John Simic's tw- July 27th post in my Ride the Lightning blog. It's really scary what can happen to the data on that phone if it ever gets into anybody else's physical possession. Security is just non-existent. Well, I, as I told you, Sharon, when I read John's article, I was about to be worried, and then the article is, well, you know, I can get all this data off your phone if I get it in my hands. Well, I've always assumed that John can get all the data off anything if he gets it in his hands. So. <laughs> well, you, you could be president of the fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of iPhones and other mobile technology, yet again, I'd I, I like to dwell just a second on mobile technology's impact on, on our society and the way it's changing and on evidentiary issues for lawyers. When I think of the changes that are coming because of this personal technology, uh, the lack of privacy is really frightening. You've 
opined before about people who take intimate photos thinking that they won't be shared and find them on the internet. And there's lots of those type of issues. But, but think about this. Most people, most lawyers have a smartphone. They're maybe not fully using it. Everybody doesn't have a smartphone right now. But soon, almost everybody will be holding, if they aren't already, a phone, an internet device, an email device, their music and video collection, the contact information for everybody they know, a camera, a movie camera, all with them in one device at one time. And so, and so there's just going to be a lot more sources of information out there, a lot more difficulty for us trying to figure out what to view, but, but think of the concept that movies of your client's automobile accident might be posted to YouTube before the police even get to the scene to <laughs> investigate it. True enough. Or, or the idea that you know there's a lot of these cars where there's lower credit perhaps and they put a GPS tracking device on the car so if they need to repossess it, the, the creditor can recover it. Well, think of that concept. If the person's been investigated for a crime or a divorce case or something and you discover that there's been a GPS on their car the last year, where's that data stored? Is there really a record of everywhere that car has driven for the last year that's still discoverable somewhere? Of course, me with a 13-year-old, I'm thinking of GPS tracking my teenager, but that's all other category. <laughs> it actually sounds like a pretty smart move to me. They can't, they can't lie when the GPS tracker's on there, but they're going to try like heck to find it. You know that. But there's going to be lots of sources of potential evidence from you know security cameras and buildings, all sorts of things. It's going to get a lot more like CSI even for the average lawyer. Yeah, it certainly is. I agree. And, and, and speaking about evidence, let's talk about electronic evidence. Electronic evidence vendors have been having something of a tough time. They recently released the Social Gel Geldman survey, the annual survey, which shows that e-discovery is still growing, but the growth has really, really markedly slowed. The industry is expected to grow by 20% this year as opposed to 40% in, in previous years, bringing in revenues of more than $4 billion. But that growth is, is just sharply down, and it's getting much harder to compete profitably in an industry that's just coming of age during the worst economic downturn we've had in a long time. Clients are no longer willing to, to write these big checks for services that, as Sosha Gelman says, that they can exceed uh, $1.75 million for, an, he, they call it an average case. I would call that a big case. But in any event, uh, they don't want to do that. Clients who were once happy to pay 500% of value in e-discovery are looking for alternatives. Their lit litigation budgets have all been slashed. I've genuinely, genuinely been shocked here at Sensei to see how much business we're getting from larger law firms who no longer want to pay the prices of the big EDD companies. In a curious way, this has really benefited some of the smaller boutique firms so long as they can still deliver quality service. So what the smaller vendors are successfully saying is, hey, we can do it, and we can do it better, faster, and cheaper. It's been very, very successful. We have seen law firms and corporations try to bring electronic discovery in-house, but, you know, it's just not their core competency. Many mistakes, and, of course, they're subject to claims of having a vested in interest in the outcome. That really has not played very well. I think having third-party vendors is still something that both law firms and corporations are going to need to have. I've also heard of a trend of corporations not initiating litigation or, or making unreasonable settlements to avoid litigation just because they fear the cost of electronic discovery. And, and we still need a system in our country for resolving disputes. So I think that's an important concern as well. Absolutely. I agree. And I've heard the same stats. And it really, a lot of people are saying that the litigation system is broken. You can't afford to litigate. 
Sharon, I'd like to next talk about the, the paperless office concept, or as I like to refer to it as digital law practices. For those of you who've downloaded this from iTunes, our host for the podcast is the Law Practice Today webzine, and the September 2009 issue features a, a symposium or a theme on paperless law offices and, and, and how that's going to work, and, and I think that's critical to continue to change if you haven't. It just makes total sense to be able to have access to all your files from your desk on your computer without having to get up or trace a file or, or my gosh, how many hours do law firms still spend looking for the lost file? But my particular interest in that is about the concept of, of protection and, and disaster recovery. And, and I think I've changed or evolved my view somewhat on backup. Backup used to be something that was critical because these computers might fail and, and our data could all be lost. So we had to make backup for that reason because we knew that we would be in a bad shape if we lost our data. But now I, th I think we're, we're reaching a time where if a law office is destroyed by a fire or a flood, people are going to question what, you didn't have that data backed up? And law firms may fail just because they can't get up and running. To implement a true paperless practice where every document and every file, with maybe a few exceptions for voluminous material that's easily duplicated if you lose it, is on the computer network and then is backed up in a safe, secure location off-site, I think is critically important. If your office burns, it's not going to be enough to restore your backup, even if it's done perfectly, if all that is is copies of all the documents you produced in-house. It needs to be all of your files organized by files. It needs to be all of the correspondence and pleadings from the opposing counsel, your file notes, your calendar, and all these entries. And you would be able to get your office up and running within hours, not spend the next six months reassembling those lost, burned files. Well, that's a great segue to where I was headed next, which is the advent of BDRs. Now, I know a lot of folks probably have not heard of BDRs. It, it, the acronym just hasn't made it out there uh, for public consumption in a lot of places. But these refer to backup and disaster recovery appliances. The client will buy an appliance, perhaps at a cost of three to four thousand dollars. So there, there's some price to enter this market for sure. And the BDR sits on the client site. The, these, these appliances can perform backups every 15 minutes. The, we don't have tape anymore. Tape is gone as a backup solution. Now the backup is, all the backups are hard drive based. So you can store all the data in encrypted format and shoot it off site, which is what most people are starting to do, although some people want to keep it on site, but a lot of people are, are shooting it out. The cost for off site storage is now down to about two gigabytes per month. $2 per gigabyte per month, I'm sorry. Very cost effective for the kind of insurance it provides. There are services also that will monitor the BDRs and the health of every server on a 7 by 24 basis. And they even send out email alarms if something is wrong, including perhaps to your IT support company. These are really good services to have so that you don't show up at work and find that your system is completely down and of course nobody knew because it happened at 2 a.m. A BDR appliance can pop up a virtual server, which is great. So if your AC leaks water and shorts out your exchange server, you can pop up an exact copy on the backup device in about an hour. How's that for way cool business continuity? That is really cool. And, and I'll tell you another thing that's, that's unusual I see in the future for technology is the increased use of video for law firms, both in marketing and training. I see uh, lawyers making more use of uh, YouTube, not necessarily to try to put pure commercials on YouTube, but nice little 
five or ten minute videos about something they've done or some area of expertise or maybe even highlighting a client. And I also see using videos more for training. I've been experimenting a little bit with a product called Camtasia that lets you uh, narrate what you're doing on the computer while it records both your voice and the actions that are going on on the computer screen. So if I can do something on the computer, I can then save that as a video file. So instead of having to explain something to a new staff person, they can just go play the video file. That is that is very cool. And, and you're right. I have seen increasingly law firms recording videos to put on their website, sometimes a welcome. Sometimes they do promotional videos. Sometimes they do informational videos. We just finished recording here at Sensei. If you uh, go to YouTube and, and look for Sensei Enterprises, you will find the first video that we did for forensics. There's one that will shortly be up for our IT side as well. It's kind of edgy. It's not what lawyers would necessarily want, but it'll give you some idea of what can be produced for relatively cheap monies, particularly if you're using, as we did, a very gifted UVA, law, UVA student. So you can really produce these things, and they're very, very effective. On this somewhat murky road of ours, Jim, I have a clear vision of Practice Master and Tabs 3 increasing their market share. Practice Master is a case management system, and Tabs 3 is its billing component. We have always liked these two programs, which are made by STI, but in the last two years, they've just gotten better and better, while Time Matters, which we used to recommend, has not done very well since it was acquired by Lexus. Now, there's a surprise. I know this shocks you, Jim, but we're seeing solos and small firms leaving Time Matters in droves for a host of reasons, but almost all of them cite a serious decline in the quality of customer support. So, interestingly enough, this acquisition by LexisNexis may have done a great deal for STI. Well, I think that's true. I know Dan Berlin, the, the CEO of uh, STI, will be happy to hear us talking about that. But I also see my members in rural communities moving to that product because they can pay a reasonable fee for unlimited telephone tech support. And really, customer service now is a more important variable than the actual functions of the software. Moving along on practice management, I'd just like to say that to me, that's a critical part of the digital law practice concept. Your practice management software is the glue that holds all your information together. And whether you're using a, a BDR or a different kind of restoration system, that's what gets you up and running quickly as opposed to just returning a mass of unorganized data. Well, I certainly agree with that, and it's been fun trying to look forward, Jim, and we'll have to, we'll have to do a retrospective in a year and see if we got anything right. <laughs> and that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>